We're in 1 Peter 3 this morning, if you want to turn there. Okay, let's uh, pray before we start. Father, I thank you for your word. And like Daniel mentioned earlier, it's a, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It's how a young man keeps his way pure. Father, it's living. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It instructs and rebukes and corrects and helps us to be your children, becoming like Jesus that you want us to be in. So I pray that you would use your word this morning in that way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So like uh, Curtis and Mike already mentioned, uh, many of us enjoyed Tisha's and Josh's wedding last night. Um, Weddings are a good reminder, at least for married people, um, of what our marriages are supposed to be like. They're good reminders, and they bring us back to the, the love, the romance, the commitment, the, the commitment, the vows that we've made. And uh, I enjoy weddings for that reason. I'm sure my wife does too, as I'm reminded of the husband I'm supposed to be. <laughs> it, it is so easy, I think we would all recognize, uh, whether we're married or single right now, that it is so easy for marriage to degenerate. Uh, For the for the vows like we heard Josh and Tish share with one another last night, how easy it is for those vows to forget them. And that that romance um, to turn into routine. For love to become lost and, and Commitment just to be thrown out the window and, and what started so strong uh, to just disintegrate into constant conflicts to where two individuals eventually agree that they're irrevocably incompatible. That what started so well ended so hard. We need to ask ourselves, it's interesting, and obviously I'm speaking on husbands and wives this morning, it's just where we are in First Peter, ended up to be. <laughs> we have to ask ourselves, you know, as like last night as we were looking at, at Josh and Tish and, and they were looking into, you know, I guess you could call it gazing <laughs> into one another's eyes. Uh, and, and you see a, a newlywed couple doing that and, you know, with all the, all the dreams and all the hopes and, and all the the love and, and commitment that's being made at that time, uh, we, we have to ask ourselves, in light of the state of marriage in our world, what happens? Um, and sometimes it happens pretty soon. In fact, uh, there's a phrase in our, that, that is pretty, pretty typical in our world, not just referring to marriage, but referring to anything, well, it looks like the honeymoon's over. Um, It should really be enough for those of you who are 
single right now to decide not to get married. Um, because it's hard. Why is it that a guy who has all the time in the world for a gal, his gal, all the time in the world, I mean, he's waiting for her, and she's still getting ready. <laughs> and he has all the time in the world. All of a sudden, becomes impatient after they get married when she's 15 seconds late. About this guy who, you know, when they were courting, thought she had the cutest sneeze. <laughs> you know, it's just, but now that they're married, it just bugs him. That she's <laughs> blowing her nose all the time. <laughs> I wasn't talking about anybody in particular. <laughs> um, or the gal, you know, the gal who just thought it was so funny, you know, when she was visiting her guy at his apartment and, and she'd trip over his shoes in the middle of the floor. And <laughs> <laughs> but then when they got married, all of a sudden it's so furious at his laziness and irresponsibility for leaving the shoes there. It's amazing how things change. Well, you know, Actually, preaching on the kind of husbands and wives that we are to be is difficult for me because I'm keenly aware that my wife isn't the wife she should... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, that's not what you thought I was going to say, was it? <laughs> <laughs> Can I go to somebody else's house for lunch today? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> My dear, would you like to finish? <laughs> okay. Okay. <clears throat> <laughs> recognizing my own <laughs> inadequacies and, and failures as a husband. That's why, Mitch Adderley, I, I love weddings that remind me. And that's why I love this passage that we're going to come to in 1 Peter 3, because it just so clearly and simply reminds us of the plan and the pattern that God has for us for marriage, how God intends husbands and wives to be to one another. And, and, and even as singles or those that are struggling, as, as Matt mentioned earlier, going through a divorce, I mean, just reminding us together of what God has for us and what God wants for us in relationships with one another. So the point of our passages, and as we're going to look at 1 Peter 3, it fits wonderfully within uh, the book of First Peter as uh, week after week, the little title is up there, A Living Hope. And this is the point. As we come to marriage, it's not some disengaged, separated aspect that has nothing to do with 
the theme of this book, A Living Hope, but it, it simply tells us that a living marriage is the outflow of a living hope. And that's, if you don't get anything else, get that. That a vibrant marriage, a vibrant relationship between a man and a woman flows out of a vibrant relationship with the living Jesus. And, and you know, we've seen that over the last weeks as this, this subject of marriage is within the subject of government and, and the workplace, and that, that all relationships, the, the vibrancy of them and the health of them is, is simply an overflow of a vibrant, healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I, if we got that, and, and we got to keep being reminded of that, I do, but as we keep being reminded of that, it, it just, it's what makes a difference. I believe that at the heart of failed marriages and failed relationships is skewed focus is a skewed focus. You know, what usually begins with a fleshly infatuation with one another, that, that's how most relationships start, right? Just this infatuation with one another, so quickly degenerates into an irritation with one another. It's amazing. It goes something like this. You know, that infatuation to the irritation, it, it, it starts out with, you are beautiful. To, where'd you get all those zits? <laughs> it starts out with, you know, her actions or his actions that are so cute to, man, that's obnoxious. <laughs> or, man, I love how you, and I hate how you. Now, it's not that a couple in love should not be focused on one another. It's probably a good idea that you're focused on one another. But this is the point, and listen carefully. It says, but they should just not be their number one focus. They should not be each other's number one focus. They aren't enough for each other. It's so important to get. A couple, a husband and wife, my wife and myself, we aren't enough for each other. We will fail each other, and we have. We're imperfect. We need a more solid foundation for marriage, for a relationship between a man and a woman. Otherwise, what begins with appreciation ends with criticism. What we initially desire, we despise. We're silly people, really. But, but at the heart of it, it just expresses how much we need Jesus at the heart of our relationships at the heart of a marriage relationship. And so that's... Um, so the context, as we're going to come into 1 Peter 3 this morning, a really important context is chapter 2, which we looked at yesterday, but we're going to start back at chapter 2, verse 21. And we've got to start there, because otherwise, the words we... If we were to start in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 your response might be, especially the women as we start reading, might be, that's impossible. <laughs> that's unreasonable. It's got to be outdated. <laughs> Maybe the way you, they used to do it before they knew better. 
And, but even this, and even harmful, if we misunderstand the words that Peter is writing. And I want you to understand it as we move into this passage in light of some statistics that are, for some of you, very keenly on your mind. Some of you have experienced these statistics. You're one of these statistics. And it's why it's so important that as we talk about these words, we understand that this relationship between a woman and a man, a husband and a wife, has got to be centered upon and flow out of a relationship with Jesus. Consider these statistics. They're very sobering. 9,000 women are victims of abuse every day at the hands of a husband or a boyfriend. That's stunning. Every nine seconds. Every nine seconds. One out of four women report experiencing violence at some point in life from a husband or a boyfriend. One out of four. Women experience two million injuries each year from husbands and boyfriends. And maybe, if that isn't enough, more than three women each day are murdered by a husband or a boyfriend. And Peter starts off by saying, wives, submit to your husbands. Accept the authority of your husbands. That's chapter 3, verse 1. We're not going to start there. We're going to start in chapter 2, verse 21. And then understand, seek to understand what Peter is saying. If you'd read with me, I'm going to follow along. I'm going to start chapter 2, verse 21. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, he never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. In the same way, or you could say, so therefore, wives, must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. Literally, it's kind of a play on words. If, if they refuse to obey the word, your wordlessness will be used by God to change them. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. It's kind of hard after a wedding where everybody does that, but anyway. <laughs> you should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so 
precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him her master. I tried to get Cindy to do that, but she hasn't. <laughs> you are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. Now, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. These are good words. So simply what we're going to look at is first of all the, the little passage in chapter 2, verses 21 to 25, the foundation of a healthy marriage being meaning a healthy relationship, a vibrant relationship with Jesus. And, and there's three things we see. If you turn back to those verses, we're going to just look at quickly. The first thing, if, if we're going to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus, first of all, we've got to see him, number one, as our example. You see that? Our example? For... For he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. Verse 22, he never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. Verse 23, he did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. And then he left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. You know, these are, these are amazing words. If we just let them soak in a little bit and let Jesus be our example in our relationships. I mean, these fly in the face of how we act towards one another so much of the time. Jesus, our example, looking to him in our relationships and saying, kind of like the old book, In His Steps, What Would Jesus Do?, I mean, so often we just dive in with all fours and in our conversations and our communications and our lack of conflict resolution, we don't think about what Jesus would do or what Jesus would say or how Jesus would go about this. He's our example. It says he did not retaliate. Man, if we could get that as a part of our relating with one another, that our relating with one another is an overflow of how Jesus would have us to relate and not a reaction to what the other person's doing. That's so often where relationships break down, isn't it? You know, you, you're impatient with me, so well, I can be impatient with you too. You're a little irritated, well, I can be more irritated. And, and, and our relationships are constantly bouncing back and forth off of each other, retaliating and, 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 and instead of what would Jesus do. And the last one, it says, he left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love doesn't keep a record of wrong. Or love doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. Uh, but love just 
leaves things with Jesus. It overlooks so many things. So, so many of our problems and relationships, they're not huge things, they're petty things that just build and grow and fester. If we want a vibrant relationship with another individual, we've got to start with a vibrant relationship with our Lord, and it's got to be seeing Him as our example and keeping Him before us. But you know, the neat thing is, is that He isn't just our example, because if He was just our example, we'd have to say, well, that's a great example, but I can't come close to that. But we can, because number two, He's our Savior. You see that? He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. Because he's not just our example, but our Savior, he showed us what to do, and now he's enabled us to follow him as our example. By paying for our sins on the cross, freeing us from those sins so that we can be dead to those sins and their power and live for what is right. Do what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. We come into relationships, two wounded people usually, right, don't we? Two wounded, two wounded people. I, I often describe when I'm doing pre-marriage counseling with a couple, I say, you know, you're two leeches coming together to get everything you can out of each other and then go find someone else to suck dry. That's often what relationships are. Two broken people, two hurting people coming together and just sucking the life out of one another instead of being healed by Jesus as your Savior. By His wounds we are healed. He's our Savior. And so we can come into a relationship with Him as our Savior, experiencing the freedom and the power over sin to follow His example. And then the third thing, just quickly in verse 25, it says, Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. He's not only our example, our Savior who has paid for our sins, set us free, healed us, and wants to heal us, but he's our shepherd. What does a shepherd do? He provides, protects. It's called the guardian of our souls. Literally, the word is overseer. He, he provides for us, he protects us, and he's overseeing us. That's Jesus. You know, the hardest thing for me in um, doing pre-marriage counseling um, is knowing, you know, I, I, I usually summarize it saying, you know, there's three things that are really important. If you do these things, these three things perfectly, you'll be a perfect couple. No. <laughs> Communication, you got to communicate. Commitment, this isn't up for grabs. And Christ. But what is so hard, because everybody, you know, wanting to get through the pre-marriage counseling and on to the marriage, on to the wedding, you know, everybody agrees with everything. But how quickly Christ ceases to be the center of the relationship. I mean, so quickly. And as Christ ceases to be the center, then communication often falls apart and, and commitment is no longer there. We've got to start with 
verses 21 to 25 as we come into chapter 3 that the heart of this relationship that we're building is this, this commitment to know Jesus, to follow Jesus. And that's the heart of this book. You know, in, in just preparing for this sermon, I went back and I read the whole book of 1 Peter two or three more times. It's, it's wonderful. It was wonderful just reminding me of the living hope that is ours in Christ. And the people that we are, living stones built upon him, our cornerstone, we're a chosen people, we're a holy royal priesthood, we're a holy name. I mean, who we are and who Christ is to us, it's beautiful. And it can provide such a beautiful foundation and, and, and example and power for our relationships. And yet, we so quickly wander away from the shepherd. So when we understand that this is our foundation, I think as we come to chapter 3, we can then understand how Christ can call us to be the husbands and wives that he calls us to be. Because he's calling us to a supernatural relationship. And unless we understand the supernatural foundation of that relationship, we're not going to be able to do it. So quickly, let's look at 1 Peter 3. 1 to 7, and we'll start with wives. It wouldn't be where I'd start, but that's where Peter starts. I want you to know I'm not picking on you. If we have time, we'll look at husbands. <laughs> okay. If I were to summarize one word as we look at verses 1 to 6, it's the word submissive. That's how, that's how Peter starts out. In the same way, you wives must be submissive to your husbands. They translated here, accept the authority of your husbands. And I, I like that translation. Accept the authority of your husbands. But you know, I think the first response from, because it can be such a distorted, such a distorted word. And in light of the statistics that I read earlier, can be almost like, how can you even ask us to do that? So many men, I mean, most men are jerks. I, it's true. When you look at those statistics, what God has called men to be, it's horrible, it's atrocious how men come into marriage relationships. So what does Peter mean by these words? And I just listed a few things that I got from this passage that I think he means. And the first one is about attitude. What does it mean for a wife to accept the authority of her husband? I think it means an attitude that recognizes a husband's God-given authority. If you look back at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, as Adam was first created and God brings all the animals by Adam to, uh, for him to name the animals and to find a helper and couldn't find a helper suitable for Adam. Um, God forms Eve out of Adam to be, it says literally, a helper complementary to him. Complementary, to be his complement. So they would complement one another. But the starting point, I believe, that Peter is giving here is 
that a wife comes into a relationship with an attitude that recognizes the authority that God has given her husband. And we're going to see what that, how that authority is to be treated in verse 7. It's not authority to dominate or to demean or to demand. It's not, not any of that. We're going to see it. It's but an attitude that recognizes a husband's God-given authority. You know, Genesis 2.18 degenerated very quickly when sin entered the world. Uh, in fact, you want to turn back there, keep your finger. To Genesis chapter 3, sin entered the world, and it's amazing how quickly this beautiful complementary relationship that God created degenerated. Um, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, as God speaks to the woman, and Adam and Eve have both just passed the buck, God says to the woman, I will sharpen the pains of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. And these next two phrases are key, and it just shows how the relationship disintegrated. And it says, you will desire to control your husband. What began as a complementary mutually submissive relationship becomes where God says, you will desire to control your husband. It's interesting because if you flip over to chapter 4, just the next chapter, verse 7, we understand, get an understanding of what that means, where God is talking to Cain, and God says to Cain, um, why are you angry? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out, sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. And it's exact same phrase, exact same phrase that's in chapter 3, verse 16. And what God is saying to Eve is, is in light of how sin has come into the world, whereas before you were eager to compliment Adam and support him in this, this world that God had given them to govern together, now, instead, your desire is going to be to control him and dominate him. Be independent of him and instead of supportive and complementary to him. Um, and then the next phrase, it says, but he will rule over you. And again, I think it's the man's sinful response to the relationship where where Eve is going to try and control Adam instead of support him, then the man is going to say, well, I'm stronger than you. I'm going to get my way anyway. And we end up with this horrible degenerative relationship where instead of complimenting one another, we got two individuals trying to control and dominate one another. So an attitude that recognizes a husband's God-given authority. Number two, back to 1 Peter. Back to First Peter, and if I don't usually do this, but it just kind of worked out. So the second one's B, if it helps you remember a behavior that does not react or retaliate, but purposefully lives for her husband's relationship with God. You see that? Accept the authority of your husband's. Thus, even if some refuse to obey the word, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Behavior. That's what Peter's talking about here. A behavior that isn't, oh, my husband's a jerk. Well, probably all are sometime. 
I know I, I can be. I know that's a surprise. But behavior that doesn't react to or retaliate against, but purposefully lives for her husband's salvation, it says here, or we could say sanctification, his growth in Jesus because of her behavior. Number three, as we go on to verse three, it says, don't be concerned about the outward beauty, but about an inward beauty. It says a gentle and quiet spirit. And, and number three, a clothing, clothing oneself inwardly with a beauty that comes from spending time with Jesus and, and not being focused on an outward beauty. It doesn't say don't be outwardly, you know, look your best for your husband. It doesn't say that. But it says the focus should be that inward, quiet and gentle spirit. Which is so precious to God. That's a great phrase. Which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. And, and, and this phrase captures it. They trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands. And then, and then the last thing here as we come to the end. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him her master. I think it's important and as we come to the end here, it says Abraham didn't demand that. That's, that's what she wanted to do. I don't, I see that as kind of a cultural thing back then. I don't see that as something my wife should be doing to me today. But the last phrase I think captures it really good. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands will do. Doing what is right without fear. And how is, that how is it possible to this attitude and this behavior and this clothing oneself with an inward beauty and doing what is right without fear in relationship with a man that might be unreasonable and irresponsible? Well, we do it remembering that Jesus is our example and our savior and our shepherd and guardian of our souls. Like I said, this is a supernatural thing that God is asking wives to do. Otherwise, what, what hope is there for relationships except the petty reacting and retaliating and, and responding to one another's inadequacies and failures? The way it ends, doing what is right without fear of what your husbands might do, I'm just, just going to put in a little caveat there. I don't think what God isn't asking women here any more than he's asking uh, servants, as Daniel talked about last week, the word is slaves, uh, to put up with abusive slavery, <laughs> to put up with an abusive marriage. <coughs> That's not, this passage isn't saying that. This passage isn't saying that you should put up with abuse. It's not saying that. I think what it is saying, though, is that if we have an attitude and a behavior and an inward clothing of beauty, purposefully living for a husband's best, that a lot of relationships will be different than they would be otherwise glorifying to God in vibrant relationships, there will be some that won't be. And in the same way that a, 
if a slave can get out of slavery, that if a wife's relationship with an abusive husband is abusive, then God isn't asking you to stay there and be abused. That's not what it's saying. Husbands. I think if I were to give one word to it, it's the word sensitive. It's probably the hardest thing for husbands to do, right? Sensitive. In what ways? The first it says, it says, husbands, honor, give honor to your wives. Speak well of your wives. I tell you, I hate it when I hear husbands talk bad of their wives. Or wives talk bad of their husbands. Honor. Speak well of. Speak highly of. Um, and, 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 and not because she happened to uh, cook you steak and eggs for breakfast that morning. Even if she got up and still had curlers on her hair if you, as, you, as you left the house. You know, it's, speak well of your wives. That's what it says. That's what our, that's what our responsibility is as husbands. Number one, give honor to our wives. Raise their value in the eyes of other people. That other people would think highly of our wives. Number two, understand. This says, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner. Understanding. Just a, a question, how well, for those of us that are married here, how well do we know our wives? Do we know what upsets them? What, um, I mean, for me yesterday, as my, it was, you know, it's knowing that my wife, even though, I mean, she'll do the repairs, she'll crawl under the house and put the insulation, you know, she'll repair a faucet, she'll <coughs> overhaul an engine. No, she hasn't done that yet. Uh, I mean, my wife's, Amazing. She does most of what I should be doing. But, you know, there are things that my wife doesn't like to do. Like carry the 50-pound bag of dog food, you know, to the back of the house where it goes. Understanding. Sensitivity. Um, the third one, and, and I think this captures it so well, equal partner. You see that? She may be weaker than you are. And that's what has brought about the atrocity of the statistics I read earlier. But she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Anything less in the attitude of a husband is less than what God intended you a husband to be equal partners, complementary members of this union that God has brought together to glorify himself before the world. Equal partner. Um, do you regard your wife as an equal? Do you treat her as an equal? If, if you're in a dating relationship, do you do that? Do you respect? Do you honor? Do you value? Do you treat your wife as an equal? And then lastly, it says recognizing that this is a powerful 
Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. Wow. Why do so many men have screwed up relationships with God? Maybe it's because of how we treat our wives. Recognizing that our relationship with God depends on how we treat our wives. That is powerful, man. That is powerful. How in the world can we do that? By, as husbands, remembering that Jesus is our example. And that he's our Savior. He's paid for our sins. He's freed us from the power of sins so that we too can be healed. And he's our shepherd and our overseer. So a living marriage flows out of a living hope. Jesus, the cornerstone. Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. (laughs) Our provider, our shepherd. A vibrant relationship between a husband and a wife will only flow out of a vibrant relationship between us and Jesus. Have I said that enough times? Do you have marriage struggles? Relationship struggles? You know, the, the simple question is, so how is your relationship with Jesus? So, since some of you tuned me out, tuned me out a long time ago because you're single... So, you are single. What does all this have to do with you? Nate, looking at you. (laughs) You you were looking at me. You want to get married? That's a good thing. But, and I've shared this so many times, I shared this with a, a young guy this week again. Pursue Christ more than you pursue a spouse. Build that vibrant relationship with Christ so that when God brings that perfect complement into your life, you will be to each other exactly as God intends you to be. Because he's at the heart of that relationship. Marriage is hard. I jokingly re, uh, remind my wife, um, it's kind of hard to be the wife of the preacher at a sermon like this, huh? I jokingly remind her that Jonathan Edwards' wife wrote a book entitled Marriage to a Difficult Man. (laughs) And I think, and I encourage my wife to write the sequel, uh, and I think that most women could probably write the sequel. (laughs) How can it be different? Wives, husbands, those of you that are single, looking to be a husband and a wife that God would intend you to be, how can it be different? Our eyes on Jesus. Pursuing Him as that cornerstone of the relationship that God would intend it to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus, our example, our Savior, our Shepherd our Lord, our King of kings. Oh, Jesus, I pray that you would draw our hearts to pursue you with all of our hearts, number one, so that as we pursue you, we might pursue one another as you intend us to. Amen.